Let's take off, baby. Let's just drive, honey, into the night sky, to the sunset shine, into the day, baby. Let's go traveling. Let's go traveling. Let's go traveling. Let's go traveling. This is Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz, along with Nick Nurbin from Pure Michigan. It's that time of the year when you might be looking for an indoors fun and educational experience for the entire family. For airplanes and spacecraft, we have the Air Zoo. For authentic Dutch culture, there's the Holland Museum. To understand governance, consider taking a Michigan capital tour. And for maritime heritage, there are special places like the Port Huron Museums. We spend the day at the museum next here on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at michigan.org. Let's go traveling. This is Travel Michigan. Welcome. I'm Dave Lorenz from Travel Michigan along with Nick Nurbin. And here we are again today with the Travel Michigan program. But this is a special program, as we mentioned earlier. We're going to be talking about museums today because we have a plethora of really high-quality museums all over the state. Some of them are themed uh, according to uh, special topics that they might specialize in. Others are more generic, and some really feature the local communities where they're located. So I'm looking forward to talking to some of our guests today about museums. Nick? Yeah, and Dave, travel can often be about education, not just recreation. And today we're going to provide some opportunities for folks to learn as they travel and experience new things. Sounds great. Who are we going to talk to first? Well, we're going to head over to Portage, Michigan, in the greater Kalamazoo area, to talk with Nikki Statler of the Air Zoo Aerospace and Science Center. And Nikki, I know this is not just a collection of aircraft. There is much more at the Air Zoo for people to learn about, isn't there? Oh, there's something for everyone to learn about. Mm -hmm. We've got aircraft and aerospace and science and hands-on engineering, everything. I know I'll get in trouble for saying this, but the Air Zoo might be my favorite museum in the state, certainly in the top five. And I know, I mean, I love the Henry Ford, but the, there's something really special about the Air Zoo. Uh, describe it to us, Nikki. Oh, goodness. We are over 200,000 square feet of space to explore. We've got aircraft that date back to uh, the golden era. We have the world's only remaining SR-71B Blackbird. Um, there's literally something for everyone as far as aviation fanatics go. We have a fantastic area that explores space, how we got there, what might still be out there. Um, we talk about the people, we talk about the places, the, the engineering feats, and then we've got a ton of fantastic education programs. Some are going on the, on the floor all the time, others are registration-based, and we're, we kind of have a footprint as far as, you know, entire southwest Michigan. So we bring folks in from probably our, our Midwest region to come explore, doesn't matter what age you are. Well, you know, museums are trying to be uh, more hands-on or immersive, and you look at what happens at the Air Zoo. Nick, I don't know if you've been there before, but um, one of the things they offer is uh, they have these full-motion 
uh, simulators, like flight simulators, where you get in this capsule and, I mean, it moves you all over the place, almost upside down. It's it's spectacular. Yeah, you, you know, you took right out of words out of my mouth, Dave. We we sent re- recently sent one of our videographers down there to capture some video to promote the Air Zoo. Oh, wow. And uh, I was really just uh, in awe of some of the the immersive experiences you can have there, including that, quote, ride where you can ride along as if you're on a flight virtually. Yeah, Nikki, you know, I think yes. that's the only place that I've ever seen lines really lining up at the Air Zoo. It's really cool. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, that, um, and then when we have anybody up on the SR-71 deck, that, that usually oh, yeah. brings brings the lines coming, too. But, oh, my goodness, um, it's kind of fun to watch people get on and off of the flight simulators because they either come out and they're grinning ear to ear or they're making a beeline for the bathroom. But, yes, and you can go upside down. We, we just need to <laughs> yeah. help you along there next time, yeah. apparently. <laughs> I, well, I, I just couldn't do it, but I know because you control it yourself. It's, it's you really it. cool. Yeah. Now, I know you do, at least in the summertime you have these like science-based camps for kids do you do that year-round or is it only in summertime so the camp setup for the week is is definitely summer based however we have all sorts of activities throughout the rest of the the year as well we have um, our air zoo explorers club which does uh, sunday um, hands-on sessions once a month and we've got winter break family fun days that will be coming up we'll have uh, six days throughout the winter break where we've got hands-on activities from 10 to 2 for families to explore Uh, we do have spring break camps they're usually a couple less days than our summer camps as far as enrollment but got stuff going on all the time oh it's it's so cool all the things you do i know you have some special things going uh, you know month to month what's happening this month of september all right. Well, this month, we're excited. We've got our panels off uh, exhibits. So we have several aircraft that we are able to take off pieces. It could be a cowling. It could be a side panel. But it gives you a different perspective, kind of, of the engineering that went into it. Um, it's it's fun. It's one of our members' favorite times, I think. They, they come in and spend days just kind of exploring. And this year, we actually have 12 with our panels off, which is the most we've had yet. So it's exciting. We've got our um, Aerocobra, our Trimotor has some panels off. The Corsair, which is one of my favorites, will have a, um, have a panel off. So all sorts of things. There's information based there. It's, it, it's intriguing to everyone, even those of, those of us who are not necessarily engineering or mechanically you know, focused. Yeah, not certainly not me. Uh, so, so does that? <laughs> you know, basically, are are we looking at the motors uh, or or what? Sometimes, um, for example, on the Air Cobra, we might be looking at the engine, but it could be just a cowling piece. It could be a side panel. We've got one that they take the entire side off of it, and it's just beautiful. It's so great to see how simple the inner workings can be, but yet how you know, how intricate and the, the science and engineering behind it's just amazing. So one of my favorite is the Texan. That That's one that we have very, very exposed. It's very cool. Well, you know, it's, it's an amazing place, the Air Zoo in Portage. Uh, everybody needs to check it out because it is truly, truly a special place. Um, as Nikki was saying, you, you have that, that whole big gallery of airplanes. I mean, every type of airplane you could ever imagine. Uh, and then there's the space exhibit part of it as well. Uh, it's a special place. It's basically in that Kalamazoo area, little town of Portage, just off of uh, 94. So check it out. The website is airzoo.org. Simple, 
We want to thank Nikki for being with us today. We're heading to Holland next here on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at michigan.org. Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz, along with Nick Nurbin from Pure Michigan. And Nick, uh, I know we were both saying how much we love the Air Zoo, but one of the things I love when I travel around the state, I'm always looking for the local museums. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. they kind of tell the story of the past of that local community. Sometimes they, it's a bigger community they feature, but they're really special too. Yeah, and that's the thing with the museums throughout the state. There are some that are, as you mentioned, small and specialized. There are some that talk about the history and culture of a particular community. And uh, next, we're going to head over to Holland, Michigan, staying in West Michigan over on the West Coast, to talk to Ricky Levine, executive director of the Holland Museum, which represents all kinds of different arts, culture, and history in the region and beyond. Hi, Ricky. Hi. Good to talk to you both. Well, you know, I've been to the Holland Museum, uh, oh, at least a half dozen times. Uh, uh, whenever, literally, when I'm in town, and if I have a little extra time, I'll often go into museums because there's always something new to learn about a community. And you, you know about its current situation quite often from looking at their history. What do people mm-hmm. find out about Holland when they come into the Holland Museum? Well, you know, it's it's such a rich community, and there's a lot of history here, and there's a lot of diversity here. Um, one of the things that we have historically been known to showcase, and it really is, was the start of our collection, uh, is items from the Dutch history, the Dutch immigrant story that uh, came to Holland, the, um, the art and artifacts that are actually from the Netherlands. We have a beautiful gallery upstairs called the Dutch Gallery, which are items directly from the Netherlands. So they have no no tie in directly to the community of Holland, Michigan. However, because Holland, Michigan was founded by the Europeans of Dutch descent, that story kind of translates from where they came from and then what they brought with them when they came to the community and settled here and created what we now know as Holland, Michigan. In that case, you know, for that special exhibit, that's mostly oil paintings, kind of Renaissance period. Am I correct? It's an artist's uh, material from 16th, 17th, and 18th century Netherlands. That that big of a span. That's really impressive. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It's it's pretty um, breathtaking, and it's very interesting. It, it feels different when you go into that gallery from when you're in the downstairs, which is our history gallery and our temporary gallery space. And people walk up the stairs or take the elevator to the second floor, and it, it's it's quiet. It's peaceful. It feels, I mean, it, physically, it changes how you feel, I think, when you walk into that space. I agree. And it's pretty special. Well, and, and then the interesting thing is, you know, you have that great exhibit, that European exhibit, but then you kind of transition into how Europeans settled in the area, and there's a lot of um, history uh, that, that you uh, demonstrate there as well. Absolutely. I mean, we have um, items on display that are from the 
Dutch immigrant, their trunks and the items that they brought, the things that they carried with them. But then it develops into the stories of how they settled in the area and the arc, um, the agriculture, the architecture. Um, we have a, a significant display on the nautical uh, impact that the waters of Lake Makatawa and Lake Michigan had on the community. We have a display on the 1871 fire, the, the huge fire, same day as the Chicago fire, but um, that destroyed um, more than 80% of downtown Holland. Wow. So there, there's lots of stories of, of the Dutch settlement here. And then we go into the manufacturers. Uh, the different manufacturers that were here, um, some that still are here, like what was previously Gentex and um, the uh, different aspects of, of different technology and innovation that is very much a core of the Holland, Michigan community. We've also started adding things about other communities and other cultures. We've had some things in the past, but really we've been rethinking how we present the stories that are being told in this community. And as I said before, it is a very rich culture of diversity. The, the Latinx population is 24%, which is tremendous. And historically, we haven't been really good at sharing the stories of that population, of that community. The Asian population that really we had a surge um, post-Vietnam, uh, so the Laotian and Vietnamese community is quite significant here. You mentioned the, uh, the diversity and the different cultures that the museum is highlighting, and I know there's a special exhibit currently at the museum, and uh, it's about Idlewild, a really, truly unique story of history and culture here in the state of Michigan. Can you talk a little bit about that? I'd be happy to. It's called Black Eden, which is what the community uh, used to be called, or still is called, Black Eden, Idlewild, Past, Present, and Future. This community was founded in 1912, and it emerged as a haven for African Americans who were looking for a place for rest and relaxation. Um, it actually didn't get into its heyday until during the civil rights movement when it really progressed into um, a, just a, a resort community focusing on African-Americans. Interestingly enough, it was founded in 1912 by four white men who found that if they sold uh, land and what little buildings that there were there to African-Americans, it became a gold mine for them. And the reason it became such a rich community, besides being just an absolutely beautiful part of Michigan, it also was a place for people from that community, from African-American community, to feel safe. They could relax there. They could literally let their hair down and not be worried about being um, judged or worse in a predominantly white community. And then when you think about the performers that came there. Amazing. I mean, you mm -hmm. name, you, yeah, you just name anybody from that era and you will just be gobsmacked at the, the quality of entertainment. A lot of those people um, purchased homes here, there as well and uh, stayed there. But they, these were people that were A-list performers that could 
perform in a white community but could not stay in that community, could not go to restaurants and eat dinner in those communities. This was a place where they could perform as well as live and, again, just relax and rejuvenate as anybody wants in a resort community. Now, is this a, a just, um, an exhibit that you developed at the Holland Museum or is this a traveling exhibit? No, we did this in partnership with um, a gentleman named Chris C.J. Kingdom Greer. We know him as C.J. up in Idlewild. They know him as Chris. Um, He is from that community, and he was born and raised there. He's a descendant of one of the first black owners uh, and philanthropists who, who lived and developed that community. And CJ is a collector, and he's got this huge, huge collection of items from Idlewild. He's a got a huge collection of lots of things, but this is one of the things that he really has focused on over the years. And um, I met him when I started working at the museum about six years ago, and he and I started talking about Idlewild. And I'm a transplant. I had never heard of, of the community. And he started telling me about what it was all about. And we um, thought that this would be an incredible exhibit to share in Holland, Michigan. Not that it's about Holland, Michigan, but CJ is one of those people that lives here as well as Idlewild. So there are other people in the community like that. But also because it was bigger than just that community, mm-hmm. because so many people came to Idlewild from other parts of the country to uh, explore and to relax and to purchase homes and, and live there. It's an amazing story. Uh, I've learned so much about Idlewild. I'm going to be able to learn even more about Idlewild, and so will you when you visit the Holland Museum next in beautiful Holland, Michigan, and the uh, west side, as Nick said. I really encourage you to do that, and make sure to check out that uh, Dutch culture. I love that Nikki talked about how diverse the community is and how the museum is is uh, really exhibiting, you know, uh, Hispanic Latino information, you know, Asian information. It's it's just great. You're going to want to go. The website is Holland Museum. Org. And we want to thank Ricky Levine for being with us today. We're going to head to Lansing next here on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at Michigan.org. Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz, along with Nick Nurbin from Pure Michigan, and we're talking about museums from all around the state on today's program. And the next one isn't maybe technically a museum, but it's kind of like a museum, and uh, I really think you should go bring the entire family. Well, that's one of Michigan's more iconic buildings, Dave. We're going to head to Lansing to the Michigan State Capitol, where we'll talk with the director of the State Capitol Tour and Education Service, Matt Van Acker. And Matt, I spend quite a bit of time in downtown Lansing, and I've got to tell you, whether I'm walking down to grab a bite to eat at lunch or whether I'm driving through the downtown area, it never uh, fails to take my breath away when I see the state capitol from the outside, but I know there are a lot of wonderful things and beautiful things to see on the inside. There are, and I have the same sentiment, Nick, that you just said. You know, even as a youngster growing up in Lansing, um, to be in such close proximity to really an iconic building, even when we come in from out of town, coming in on the expressway through Lansing, and I look for it every time. You just you never get tired of it, and tell you the truth, I 
pretty frequently have to pinch myself that I have the honor of calling this my work home and have had that honor for almost 30 years now. I would understand um, that, Matt. Uh, I feel the same way. Uh, it, it, wasn't it kind of redone during the Engler administration because it was kind of falling apart? It was. Sadly, our building had fallen into a state of disrepair. Um, it just really wasn't being cared for the way it should have been cared for. And through no particular person's fault, it's just as these things go, we tend to let things slide sometimes. And the Capitol was in a really bad state of degradation. Um, 1989 to 1992, we underwent a huge restoration, and a, a lot of that credit goes to uh, former Governor John Engler and former Speaker of the House Lou Dodak and a number of legislators that came together and recognized it was the right thing to do to really make our capital something that we could all be proud of again. I was recently going through your new Welcome Center that I really want you to describe in a minute, but uh, it seems like I think that was a place where I where I saw some um, materials about that uh, that whole uh, rehab project. Uh, it must have been uh, pretty dramatic uh, trying to work and trying to do the the people's work while they were redoing that entire building. Yeah, it really was. They had to uh, shuffle people around a little bit during the restoration project. The um, Senate met for a short period of time in the old Supreme Court chamber while they were redoing that chamber. Uh, the House met very briefly across the street at an old uh, hotel, the Roosevelt Hotel. Um, so they did, it was a real challenge to get the work done, but they were very proud of the fact that they were able to keep the building open and functioning throughout the whole project. Um, you mentioned um, a part of one of the phases of that original restoration in the late 80s was a welcome center for the capital, and for a number of reasons, both financial and political, uh, they were never able to appropriate the funds to do that until really recently. We just opened a year ago on July 5th of 2022, an incredible um, welcome center we call Heritage Hall, uh, which includes some really wonderful exhibits, um, a state-of-the-art conservation laboratory where our staff can conduct on-site conservation for capital artifacts, including our battle flag collection, um, a wonderful meeting space we call the state rooms that can seat up to 300 people. So a number of all state agencies and committees and things are using those state rooms now, and um, um, not to mention huge bathrooms, <laughs> which I'm not. I, I, I um, will readily admit I lobbied pretty hard for uh, when we were upstairs working out of the east entry of the ground floor. Um, we had very small restrooms, which were basically halfway down the north and south halls. So to have a huge restroom space and um, just a wonderful. Um, Space where our citizens can enjoy and learn about the capital, and uh, we've been working with some Michigan firms that have developed some really wonderful exhibits um, about capital and state history. Um, another gentleman we've been working with that's produced some wonderful video productions that people can view as they come in too. So it's a really exciting time to to be here. And um, to tell you the truth, it was a time I didn't think I would ever see, even up to the time when they started digging dirt out to, to build this facility, I was sort of questioning whether we would actually see it come to full fruition. Yeah, and it's been exciting to, to watch the progress, you know, from the outside. And oh, I, it's, definitely. And it's great to hear a yeah. lot about some of the details, including some of the, the amenities for visitors. You know, just uh, my uh, opportunities to visit the Capitol 
just looking at the Capitol Rotunda and some of the just the, the views that are in there, and you're, you're, you're trying to capture it with a phone uh, camera, and it just is impossible to do to capture the, the spectacular uh, architecture inside the Capitol. Just yeah. wanted to kind of get some information from you on what are some of the specifics that folks see when they go on a tour of the Capitol building? Oh, sure, sure. So all of our tours um, start, whether they're self-guided or guided tours, both options are available. Um, start down now in our new Heritage Hall Welcome Center. The entry to that is off of Ottawa Street on the north end, north extreme of the Capitol. Um, you'll check in down there. Uh, we have some videos they can watch about the building. Some, as I mentioned, some exhibits they can take in. Um, we have a viewing window into our conservation laboratory, so if people time their visit appropriately, they may even see some of our staff actively conducting conservation on um, Civil War battle flags. Um, then the uh, tours go up to the ground floor, from there up to the first floor rotunda. I do need to add this, for the next year, we're undergoing some, some modern conservation. Uh, it's been 30 years since the building was fully restored, and spaces in the dome are in need of attention. So we actually have a huge scaffold that's set up, and that'll be from now till about um, June of uh, 2024. Um, that being said, though, there are still some wonderful things that our visitors can see. Uh, House and Senate chambers, um, the old uh, Supreme Court chamber, the House Appropriations Committee room, um, the governor's office, and then the public areas in the rotunda that are still accessible even with the scaffold. So there's still... Uh, incredible things to see and do. And we're kind of telling people, you know, if you're coming in the next year, you may not be able to take in that rotunda space, but it'll give you a good reason to to come visit us again after that that restoration work is completed. Yeah, it's, and that is a pretty impressive place. Uh, it, 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 it is, and it's yeah. sad to lose that for the next year. But again, we think um, there's uh, enough other really wonderful things that people enjoy seeing. Can you still um, can you still access at any level uh, the place where you can see the governor's portraits? Yes, you can. So our tours and even the self-guided groups can still um, see what we call the gallery of the governors from the second and third floor. And um, so those portraits are all still viewable and accessible, um, as is the artwork throughout the Capitol. It's really what our building is most known for. We have over nine acres of hand-painted designs, and much of that was restored um, during that restoration 30 years ago. And some places that meant our artists had to strip through 20 layers of overpaint so they could get... Wow. To the first coat, find out what it looked like, and then replicate all those colors and designs. Pretty amazing. I, I would love to be in that that work. Maybe my next career. <laughs> uh, yours, yours and mine too. Although yeah. I don't think I could take the heights like yeah. some of yeah. our artists do up in the dome. Yeah, can you imagine? So, can you just walk in and oh, ask for a tour, or yep. do you have to do it in advance? No. So if it's uh, t 10 people or under, uh, we really encourage you just to walk on in. We'll add you on to a previously scheduled tour. Might be a group of like-minded citizens like yourselves who have come in at that particular time, or you may be joining along with one of our um, larger pre-scheduled um, tours. Um, I will say this, during the school year, we are inundated, and we're happy about it, but inundated with uh, third and fourth graders. 
um, the average day we'll give tours to somewhere between 15 to 20 groups. Um, most of them during the school year are going to be third and fourth graders, but we're happy to have you tag along with them. And, and we encourage citizens to do it because, quite honestly, the third and fourth graders are usually more willing to ask the questions that the adults want answered but are too embarrassed or too shy to ask. Hmm. Um, so and, um, it's the, going with those youth groups is a really fun experience. Well, and, um, I, and I definitely agree that visiting the Capitol at any time of year is a wonderful experience and a, a great educational experience. Just one thing that occurred to me is that it won't be long now when the state tree, the state Christmas tree, will show yeah. up in front of the Capitol. And then, of course, the great silver bells in the city celebration in downtown Lansing. So the holidays, another wonderful time to visit. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yep. And the, the tree is always a highlight of our year here when it, um, they select it and start putting it up out front. Um, yeah, and, and we encourage people to come see um, the tree, too, during the holidays. We don't really decorate so much during in the building. People ask that sometimes, but um, um, the tree is worth the trip even. That's true. Well, the Capitol is a special place, and I know you also offer tours uh, for the Historical Center just a couple of blocks away. Yeah, our staff books the majority of the tours that go through the Michigan Historical Center. It is a a separate institution run by a separate staff, but our connection with them is is pretty close um, in that we book a lot of the tours that come see us, presuming that most of the groups would like to go see both places and early on we decided it was easier for one facility to book for both groups of course it's in uh, downtown lansing at the capitol very special place if you'd like to book a tour just go to capital.michigan.gov forward slash tours and our thanks to matt vanacker for joining us today we're going to head to port huron next here on travel michigan where your trip begins at michigan.org It's Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz, along with Nick Nurbin from Pure Michigan. And Nick, we're going to head over to that Port Huron area next. Yes, the beautiful Blue Water area Mm -hmm. of Michigan to Port Huron to talk with Andrew Kircher of the Port Huron Museums. And Andrew, that is plural, as in museums. Uh, the organization has multiple sites, and if I'm going coming to visit Port Huron and I want to visit the museums, where do you recommend I start? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I really enjoy getting to tell people. Uh, when I started as marketing director here, my biggest breakthrough was putting that big S on there that <laughs> everyone knew that there are so many places you can come and see in Port Huron. A great start. Uh, is always our Carnegie Center. Uh, That is our most traditional museum space. It's in an old Carnegie Library from 1904, open year-round, most days of the week. In the winter, we dial back, you know, take Mondays and Tuesdays off. But there's always rotating exhibits uh, through there. So there are some that are permanent, some that are bringing in. Basically, if you come, you know, every couple of months, you can come for the rest of your life, and there will always be something different on display as we rotate things through at our Carnegie Center. I think you have one of the best collection of museums in the state. Very interesting stories being told, surprising ones, too. What is the uh, the biggest uh, question you get from people, or what surprises them most when they come to the museums? 
Yeah, a lot of people are surprised by just how much history uh, Port Huron and the Blue Water area has. I think a lot of people think it's kind of off the beaten path or a little place. Port Huron is a really amazing place that has a huge number of museums for a town that has less than 30,000 people in it. Um, our most famous son, the person that I hear a lot of questions about, is, of course, Thomas Edison. One of our four museums uh, is our Thomas Edison Depot. He grew up here in town, and that's actually where he had his very first job. I think most communities would be really excited to have a train station from the 1850s. That, in and of itself, is pretty cool. But the fact that we have one of those, it's been preserved, and Thomas Edison had his first job there, you really can't beat it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, describe the other museums, and um, as you do that, um, give us a little idea what it costs to uh, be at the museum. Absolutely. So the third of uh, our museums is very close to that Edison Depot, which if you've been to Port Huron, a lot of people, when they think about Port Huron, they're thinking of the Blue Water Bridge, the St. Clair River. Three of our sites are right there. That's where the Edison Depot is. It's right underneath the Blue Water Bridge. And it's just a short walk from our Huron Lightship, which was actually a floating lighthouse. And it was the last of these on the Great Lakes. So it was in operation until 1970, outmarking the Corsica Shoals and Lake Huron. Thousands of ships went by it. So it's a really amazing piece of technology, a floating lighthouse. And the three of those sites we've talked about were actually really fortunate. We've been able to secure grant funding from our local uh, Blue Water uh, Visitor and Convention Bureau, as well as the city of Port Huron, to offer free admission to those sites for the next year. So free until next July, and we're hoping actually we will be able to extend it uh, beyond then. And our fourth museum is actually our most popular. It's one that we run in conjunction with St. Clair County Parks. Fort Gratiot Light Station. It's Michigan's oldest lighthouse. Well, I know that Great Lakes maritime culture is a big part of the Blue Water region and Port Huron with the amount of traffic of Great Lakes freighters and other kinds of international vessels that come through there. And uh, that's a big part of what uh, the Fort Gratiot's history is there, the navigation of Great Lakes. And I, I know that you probably get a lot of visitors who are specifically interested in that maritime culture. Oh, absolutely. Uh, honestly, I have been all around the Great Lakes. I've worked for museums around the state of Michigan. I, I, I like to think of myself as a pretty experienced Michigan traveler, but for me, uh, there's nowhere better to watch a freighter go by than the top of the Fort Crash Lightsaber. Mm -hmm. You get to see it coming under that Blue Water Bridge. You're right up. It's so close to the shore because that's such a narrow little river with such a strong current. So it makes a lot of sense there'd be a lighthouse there and just such an amazing view uh, from the top of that tower. And the restoration efforts that have gone into keeping that tower restored as well as all the other buildings on the light station uh, to their appearance, how they would have appeared in the 1930s, we're getting close to the tower itself goes all the way back to 1829. So I'm already thinking bicentennial birthday plans. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah, and, and I've actually gone through that lighthouse. You brought our little group through that lighthouse one day. Can people send, uh, uh, sign up for tours? Yeah, absolutely. So the Fort Crash Light Station in our summer months until just a couple of weeks after Labor Day is open seven days a week. And we stay open on weekends 
all the way through the end of the year. In fact, into December, we actually decorate the light station tower with lights on the outside. We do candlelit tours once, you know, we get into those, uh, you know, December's still a ways off, but it's always think about that, you know, when it gets dark at 4 o'clock, one of the cool things is getting to see a lighthouse after dark. That's when a lighthouse is actually doing its job of being a light, a beacon at night. Uh, so there are so many opportunities to tour that light station and all of our sites really throughout the year. Well, historical museums in small towns often tell of the uh, personality of the past of that community and uh, of its current status. Um, Tell us a little bit about Port Huron and what we're going to learn when we visit. Yeah, Port Huron is, I think, a town that has done better than just about any I know of. Port Huron has pivoted so many times over its past with so many different stories. Uh, As an early town right there at the mouth of the St. Clair River, um, the French were building a fort here all the way back in the 1680s, uh, Fort St. Joseph, before they head up to Mackinac. There's lumbering. There's uh, big, heavy industry for a long time. I'm amazed. People don't believe me when I tell them that the Thomas Edison Depot, which is right there on this beautiful river walk, used to be in the middle of the peerless cement factory. And this is heavy industry. You wouldn't want to be within a couple hundred yards of this. Hmm. And now it's a beautiful river walk. So there have been so many different things that Port Huron has done and done well. We've been home to an international rail hub, still are. Um, That's one of the things that I think the least people know about. The most hidden gem about Port Huron is there is a tunnel that connects Port Huron and Sarnia. And it's actually a very old one. The first tunnel opened in the 1890s and out of sight, out of mind. Nobody, you can't see a tunnel, but uh, pretty important actually in the history of engineering and really our whole country. Well, and you mentioned the international connection there. And that's one thing I was thinking about as you're describing some of the, the, the pivots and some of the, the, the evolution of the region there is that I know you get a lot of international visitors there as one of the primary international bridge crossings with Canada. And talk about how that influences, you know, some of the opportunities there in Port Huron. Absolutely. You know, Port Huron, this is my favorite little trivia fact. Port Huron was second to Ellis Island for processing new immigrants into the United States. Wow. Everybody thinks about Ellis Island. That is quite an Nobody interesting fact. Yeah. Um, and it's because of this, you know, train connection with Canada and this uh, that opened in the 1890s. So much travel um, coming through here first by train, of course, then the Blue Water Bridges open in the 1930s, second span in the 1990s. And being this international um, destination uh, and an international path through so many people are heading through uh, Port Huron. We're just three hours from, you know, Niagara uh, in Canada. And so uh, I'm always amazed. We do get people from all over the world, tens of thousands of visitors who are stopping in to see our sites. And when you're on that Blue Water Bridge, you're passing in, you can't miss them. You see the Huron Lightship. You see uh, the depot. You see the Fort Gratiot Lighthouse. They're right there underneath the bridge. So we're really lucky that that's actually some of our best form of advertising. It's lots of people stuck on the bridge waiting at customs, and they're <laughs> thinking about, you know, what am I going to do? Or I need a bathroom break now. Or people who are going to stop in Port Huron as a layover. We, we get to 
get their attention while they're they're coming into town. Actually, my son was naturalized in Port Huron, so uh, I know all about that process and how important uh, Port Huron was and continues to be to welcome people into not only the United States, but specifically into Michigan. It's really a beautiful town, uh, as Nick called it, the Blue Water Area. It's a really cool place to visit. You'll want to check out those museums when you do. The website is Port Huron Museums. Uh, Check that out and then head there. Make sure to ask for Andrew Kircher. You're going to enjoy that visit. That's all the time we have for Travel Michigan for this week. We'll talk to you next week here on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at michigan.org. Let's go traveling.